Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Just so you know, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in my in my introduction today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're teaching out of Psalm 63 today to talk about desperate prayer. We've been in our desperate prayer series, not desperate prayer, our prayer series for this will be the fourth week. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, it's a little bit different tone in regards to the prayer series we have done before. As I've said, we've We've typically talked about the different kinds of prayer whenever we teach on prayer, but this one is more about the heart of prayer, what a heart of prayer looks like. And we started explaining that by saying the heart of prayer is first and foremost dependent. We have to have a dependent heart, a dependent understanding if we are, or if we are to pray dependent prayers. We have to be dependent that God is our Father. We have to know and trust that. We have to be dependent and reliant upon the Holy Spirit, knowing that He directs us, guides us, teaches us, strengthens us. As we become dependent, we become devoted. Because I know that if my God is my Father and my Father loves me intimately and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, then it creates a devotion in me to want to pursue Him greater. Amen? And so we're in devoted prayer, and then then devoted prayer... As we become more and more devoted, we realize that there's things that we can expect from God. And so we begin to understand the true meaning of deliverance-based prayers. And we talked about that last week. It's where we left off, where God delivers us. Anybody ever been delivered from something? I have. He delivers us both spiritually and physically. And as always delivered us spiritually and physically, and because we belong to Him, will always deliver us spiritually and physically. And so we've talked about these three types of prayers, more specifically the heart of prayer in regard to these things. Today, I'm going to finish that with what I think is the most important of these four messages. It's a prayer that doesn't ask for anything. It's a desperate prayer. Now, I'm not talking about calling out desperately for God because you found yourself in a financial hole or you found yourself in a position to where if he doesn't show up, you're in trouble. I'm talking about a desperate prayer that understands that you're already in trouble and praise God, he showed up. Amen? That's the desperate prayer I'm talking about, the kind that just seeks after God with everything that we are. We have wholly, largely turned into a church, not this church, but the Big C Church in general, and oftentimes in this church where we traditionally attend. We come in, we sing the songs, we do the stuff, we do the giving, we listen to the guy talk, whoever happens to be talking. We go home, we critique whether or not we liked his message and whether we're going back or not. All of these things without ever considering that the fact that we should desperately, before we do any of those things, seek the presence of God Amen. in prayer. And so that's, that's where we're going. We should be a people who seek after the presence of God. This is the kind of person that David was. David was the kind of person who sought after God. He desired God above all things. 
I want us to be a church that desires God above all things, is desperate for the things of God above all things. Not because things aren't important. I need to have physical ability to pay my bills. Amen? I need to know how to love so I can love my wife well. But all of those things, regardless of what they are, and you can insert your own word in whatever blank that you have, all of those things are consequences of the presence of God. The blessings are a consequence of the presence of God. And so we should desperately pray for the presence of God, which is what David is doing in Psalm 63. The, the sermon is titled, or the, the sermon is titled, Desperate Prayer. The psalm title is The Thirsting Soul Satisfied in God. Now, David didn't write that. They just used it to kind of give the reader an idea about what he's talking about. But there's a subtext here that says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. I'm telling you this because I think it's important to set the foundation for where we're going. It's a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. When I say David was in the wilderness in Judah, what do you automatically think of? Most everybody, because it's all we ever talk about, is when Saul was chasing him through the wilderness. Saul was seeking his life to destroy him. But you know, he was in the wilderness twice. He was in the wilderness when Saul was trying to take his life, and he was in the wilderness again when Absalom, his own son, was trying to take his life. We know that it's the second time in the wilderness that this psalm was written, because in verse 11, he addresses himself in third party as the king. And he wasn't the king when Saul was, or yeah, he wasn't the king when Saul was pressing him in the wilderness. Why do I tell you all of this? I tell you all of this because even though he was in the wilderness, in the worst situation in the wilderness, because when Saul was chasing him, that was bad. But you know what? You kind of expect your enemies to chase you. Right? But he was being chased by Absalom, who was his own son. He was rebelled against by his own flesh and blood. The one that he thought he could trust and count on for his whole life, determined to overthrow him and take his life. And in that hurt, David didn't ask God for anything. Imagine being in the wilderness of the Middle East, of Israel. It's rocky, it's hot, there's no water, or there's very little water. You have to know where it is to find it. And God, David doesn't ask God for anything in this psalm. You know what he does? He desperately calls out to him in prayer. He proclaims who he is because he knows in who he is, he will take care of what David needs. Man, that's the thesis statement for today. I want us to be a church that desperately prays for the presence of God. Because in the presence of God are the blessings of God. We spend so much time praying the blessings of God that we've, we don't even consider the presence of God. Can I tell you the, you, the blessings aren't available to you if you're not in the presence of God. 
The blessing is consequential to the presence. So if you're going to be desperate for something, be desperate for the giver of that something. And the rest of it just happens around that relationship. Amen? Let me read Psalm 67 to you, or 63. Oh God, you are my God. I like he starts, starts out strong there. I shall seek you earnestly. Some of your texts, depending on which version you read, may say early. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. I see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. Your lips, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watch. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Have you all heard a question yet? Have you heard an ask yet? My soul clings to you. Your heart, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Amen. So again, I ask, did you hear a single question? In this thing. No, because he's not asking God for anything other than to declare his goodness and to desperately seek him. God, show me who you are, should be the first prayer we make and the last prayer of our day. God, show me who you are. Because as I get revelation of who God is, I get revelation of everything else. That's good. So I've got a couple of points I want to make in regard to desperate prayer. First, desperate prayer desires to be satisfied. God's a satisfying God. Would you agree with that? He satisfies the weak and the hungry. He's met your need. Now, pay attention. He's met your need. He may not have met all your wants, but he met your need. Amen? The Bible says this, and David is consistent in this proclamation in Psalms 103, 2 and 5, 2 through 5. He says, Bless the Lord, my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits, who pardons all your guilt, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with favor and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Herein you see the benefits of God. God supplies for the people who seek him. What does he supply? Just according to this text, he gives, he pardons our guilt. He heals us. He's offered, he's offered redemption from us, for us. 
He gives us favor. He gives us compassion. He gives us good things, which are all good things according to his definition, not ours. Too many of us wanted to find good by what we think is good because we don't have an eternal perspective that God has. But God promises to deliver those things which are good for us, and he renews our strength like eagles. Has anybody ever received at least one of those benefits? If you're a son of God or a child of God, you've received at least one of those. You've been redeemed by the most holy Christ Jesus. And so he has benefits. There are benefits. I don't want to minimize the benefits of being in relationship with God. We should never do that because they're, they're, they're important. The fact that he has pardoned me, healed me, redeemed me, offered me favor, compassion, good things and renewed my strength. There's days I don't even want to get out of bed, but God in his strength, in his strength, by the power of his Holy Spirit offers me strength as a benefit of being in relationship with him. And I rise up out of my bed, having my strength renewed like eagles. I can talk about what God has done for me all day, but I really just want to focus on who God is so that we'll come to know that God takes care of us. Mm, that's good. Sadly, these, these blessings, these pardons, healings, redemptions, this strengthening is the main reason why most Christians seek after God. But it shouldn't be this way. And here's why. Because if you're only seeking after his stuff, you'll never get it. Blessings are consequence of presence. If you don't hear me say anything else all day, blessings are consequence of presence. Man, I wish God would do such and such for me. You know what God would wish you'd do for him? Stop asking him stuff and just go to your closet and just declare how awesome he is. You know what we do when we go into our prayer closet only when we need something? And, and a lot of us do this. We go, man, we've got a problem. I've got a bill that needs to be paid. I've got a situation in my relationship. I've got a problem with my job. I've got a problem with my kids. Whatever the issue is, I, this is burdening me. And so I'm going to go seek the face of God. I should go in my prayer closet. I seek the face of God for the blessing, not for the presence. When I allow myself to only go into my prayer closet for the sake of the blessing that I hope to receive, because of the situation I am in, what I'm doing is I'm allowing the devil to dictate my prayer life. These horrible things happen to me. So I'm going to go to prayer. How awesome would it be if we went to God in prayer first and then the horrible things never happened? Huh. Not saying there won't be trials and tribulations, but we find all of the blessings of God in the presence of God. Amen? And so we desire to be satisfied, but we shouldn't just desire to be satisfied. We should be desire to be satisfied in God. We should thirst for God. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. He declares first and foremost that God, you are my God. Which I think is beautiful because if I'm going to seek the presence of God over all things, I need to have an intimate familiarity with God. 
Not a destructive familiarity, because there's, that's such a thing too, but an intimate familiarity with God. He says, God, you are my God. You know what he's saying? I trust you. Doesn't matter what my situation is. I know that you created me. I know that you created all things. I know that you move the hearts of kings in the palm of your hand. I know that you're a strong tower. I know that you're the firm foundation. I know that you are everything that your word says that you are. Because you are God, you can be trusted. Because you are God, I can desperately seek after you and pray for you, pray to you, expecting you to show up. And if you only show up, I'm satisfied. Fact of the matter is, those of us who still have breath ought to be satisfied in God right now. You're like, well, what if somebody in here is not saved? They should still be blessed and consider themselves blessed because God hasn't killed them. And they still have an opportunity for repentance. And you still have an opportunity for repentance. So you're blessed. You know why? Because God is God. Seek God first. Everything else follows. I feel like I'm running this joint around in circles. Y'all stay with me. Just stand in the middle. I'll be back around in a minute. (laughs) For he declares that he is God. Then he goes, he goes, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've been in the desert. I was in Iraq in 90. There was a condition, they called it code black. I think it was code black. I know it was something black. But essentially it was saying that this water, because we don't know when we're going to get a resupply, is all the water you have. You better not bathe with it. You better not do anything with it. The only thing you can do is drink it. And so that's all we do is drink it. And then we ran out. And in 110 degree plus heat, we were without water in the middle of the desert. Let me tell you, you have not felt thirst until you're so thirsty, your tongue literally cleaves to the roof of your mouth. This is the thirst that we should have for God. A thirst that causes our tongue to cleave to the top of our mouth so that we can't say anything but moan out. Our flesh should yearn for him. And I just, this is is an impassioned plea by David yearn in our flesh. Man, we know what it is to yearn in our flesh in a sinful way. Amen? Any of you guys ever, you're thinking about something, and then you think about something, and then you think about something, you think about something some more, and then ultimately, even though you know it's not good for you, you do it because you've convinced your flesh and yearning after your flesh that it's okay to do, and then you get yourself in trouble? You guys ever felt a yearning like that? I have. We should yearn for God like that. Imagine going through your day, go, man, I can't wait till I get in my prayer closet. Man, when I get in my prayer closet, when I get home, I'm going to seek the face of God. Man, it's going to be awesome. Just me and the Lord, the sustainer of my strength, the one that offers me favor, the one that gives me compassion, the one that saved me by the very blood stripes of Jesus Christ. I get an opportunity, praise God, to be in his presence and to call out to him for no other reason than he's worthy. That's what desperate prayer looks like. That's what we should strive for. All the stuff you want, I told you, stand in the middle, I'll come back around to it. All that stuff you want will be there when he's there. 
Amen. Mm, that's so good. We won't be truly satisfied. We won't, do, we won't be satisfied like we want to be satisfied until we learn to desperately call out to him for him. I get asked all the time, Pastor Jim, when do you think we'll see revival? I'm sure many of you have been asked the same question. It's not, it's not a question people are just asking pastors these days. If they know you're a Christian, they ask. And you think we're ever going to see revival in this country, in this world? Let me tell you my answer to them. When we see God more than we seek stuff from God, we'll see revival. When, we des- that when that desire for God overrides our desire to sin and we become repentant of that sin, we'll see revival. And not a moment before that. Because why would God give new life, which is revival, if you still desire to live in your old life? Man, I want revival so bad. But you know what I'm not going to do? This is going to rub up against some of y'all's tradition. I'm not going to schedule a tent meeting. Because you can't schedule revival. You have to crush your heart for there to be revival. I mean, now if you say, hey, Pastor, can we, can we maybe do four sermons in a row out in a field somewhere with a tent? I'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, let's do it. But until you get the six-foot circle around you squared away, until you're repentant, until you desire God more than stuff, Revival is not going to happen in your life, no matter if you schedule it or not. Hmm, That's good. Somebody ought to write that down. God declares he won't forget us, and so we know we can call out to him. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I love that. I can desperately call out to God, which means that I don't walk in weakness and I don't walk in um, lack of courage because he goes with me. How can I be strong and courageous? Well, because God is with me. How can I know God is with me? Because I desperately seek after him. And the Bible says, where you seek for me, you will find me. And where he is, that's where strength is. That's where courage is. He will not fail you or forsake you according to the word. This is the kind of desperation we need. Amen. I feel I know I haven't done this justice. I don't feel like I have enough adjectives in my vocabulary, enough exclamation points to tell you how truly important this is. Because if you can get your relationship right with God to where you just you want him more than anything else in the world, you're not going to get anything else right. You're just not. Now, Pastor Jim, I'm doing pretty good. You could be doing so much better. I read something the other day that says, I'm not trying to beat you over the head with a Bible, but if you only knew what I knew. 
Let your flesh yearn. Amen? But that kind of yearning, that kind of desire for God, that desperate prayer seeks a posture of prayer. Verses 3 through 5 read like this. Because your loving kindness is better than life. Would you agree with that? That God's loving kindness is better than life? In fact, the reason we have life is because God is lovingly kind. He should have killed us. We, we were in rebellion to a divine God who told us that death is the consequence of sin, and we have sinned, and many of us continue to sin, and yet he hasn't killed us. And so because he hasn't killed us, he proves that loving kindness is better than life. In fact, it is life. Oh. It is continued in the mercies of God. It is his grace displayed. It is his eternal concern over us. God desires us because of his loving kindness to give our whole selves to seeking after him. Listen, listen to this text. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul, which means to say my mind, my emotion, and my will, is satisfied with, as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. This is a top of your head to the bottom of your feet declaration of your need and desire for God. My mouth will sing to you. My hands will raise to you. My will will submit itself to you. My emotions will come under control in charge of the Holy Spirit and bear those fruits that only the Holy Spirit can grow in me. My mind will be focused on you. It will be renewed according to the Word of God by the Word of God. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm so desperate for you. I'm willing to give up literally everything that I have, everything that I am to glorifying you, to desperately seeking after you in prayer. Sometimes it's okay, baby. I sit in my office and I just fall flat face first on my carpet. Somebody come in, they'll be like, what are you doing? I'll be like, you need to go away. Because it's obvious what I'm doing. And if you don't know what I'm doing, you've got a bigger problem than what I'm doing. Our whole body needs to call out to God. You know why? Because God saved our whole body. He holds you in his righteous right hand. Let me implore you, be exuberant in praise. Be exuberant in prayer. Don't be worried about what the person next to you is doing. I don't know if you noticed, but from time to not from time to time, every time, during the third song, I move from my chair to over there. You know why I move from over there to over there? It's not so it makes it easier to come to the stage. It's because I'm pacing back and forth. I'm praying. I'm trying to get my head, my heart, my spirit right. I want to make sure that I'm able to, to communicate whatever it is God intends for me to communicate. And sometimes that means pacing. Sometimes that means me standing with my hands in the air. Sometimes that means me falling on my face. I don't care what it means. God is worth whatever he's calling me to do. And he's worth whatever he's calling you to do too as you desperately seek after him. 
Mm. That's good. My papers got out of order. Number three. As we give our whole selves into prayer, we begin to realize desperate prayer grows in desperation. You get an appetite for what you eat. Have you ever heard that? I had a guy named Bud Thorpe tell me one time. He said, me and a couple of my buddies all got together one night or one afternoon at work, and we said, we're going to eat a salad every day for like three weeks for lunch. I don't like salad. Bud Thorpe is about four inches taller than me. You know, probably does me by 75 pounds. He's a big dude. He goes, I don't like salads. He said, but every, every day for three weeks, we ate a salad. Got to where I hated it. By the third week, I said, I'm never eating another salad. Ever. It's a horrible experience. Until about four days later. Then he went over to his buddy's desk or wherever his buddy was working. And he said, hey, man, I kind of got a hankering for salad. You want to go grab a salad for lunch? And the guy said, yeah, me too. And they went and grabbed a salad for lunch. What am I telling you? You grow an appetite for what you consume. As you are desperate for God, you'll find yourself more desperate for God. The verse says, when I remember you in my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He makes this point. He goes, I remember you and I meditate on you. I think about you all the time. Even up into the late hours of the night. Because you are worthy to be meditated on. Meditation is an important part of your prayer life. I would go as far as to say if you're not meditating, you're not praying. What is meditation? It's the silent reflection of the awesomeness of God, what he's done, what he's promised to do, who he is. I've, I've said this multiple occasions, but if we just, all we ever do is go in to our closet or wherever we pray, dump our stuff out on God and then leave without sitting in silence, we've never given him a chance to answer us. People say, man, I've, I can't hear nothing from God. And I'm all, that's because you don't shut up long enough to hear him say anything. <laughs> He's not going to scream at you, but if you'll be quiet for a minute, you'll hear what he has to say. But that has to be intentional, focused time. You're all, man, I don't have time during the day. Do it while you're lying in bed during your night watch. Stare at the ceiling and imagine how big, how wonderful, how beautiful, how sustaining your God is. And then call out desperately to him and thank him for all of those things. And in that, you'll find yourself clinging to him like you've never clinged to him before. You'll have, a, you'll have an appetite for him because, because of the appetite that you've disciplined yourself for. What am I trying to say, man? If I had to break this down, what am I trying to tell you? Be desperate for God. Seek after God for God's sake. But also know this, and it's my last point. 
Desperate prayer achieves desperate faith. Verses 9, 10, 11 says this, But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. You read most commentators on this, these three verses, and they'll tell you that they don't believe that this was actual part of the original psalm because it seems so disjointed. And it does kind of seem disjointed when you just initially read through it. Because he goes to talk about the awesomeness of God, but then he starts talking about his enemies and all of these kinds of things. Let me tell you, he's just doing what every good writer does. He's saying, listen, I call out to God. I desperately seek him. And in desperately seeking him, he's proven himself to me over and over and over again. He's not, he's not asking questions. He's making statements. He says, those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. That's faith. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. That's faith. They will be prey to foxes. That's faith. But the king, that's himself, will rejoice in God. That's faith. Everyone who swears by him will glory. That's faith. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. These aren't statements of fear. These aren't statements that are asking for anything. These are statements of faith. Because in desperate seeking, you find desperate faith. Amen? I want us to be a church that's desperate. For God. Oh, man, Pastor, isn't there so much other stuff that you want? Wouldn't you like to see a bigger church or more people or more committed people or more influence? Or would you like to make more money? Sure. But those things are so inconsequential to the God that we serve. I would serve him if none of those things existed at all. That's my prayer for you, that you look past your situation and see the God that desperately wants to be with you.